0: And it's a joy to have you with us. And this morning, uh, we're taking a break from our verse-by-verse exposition, uh, weekly sequential exposition through the book of Romans. And we are uh, considering a subject, a uh, series that we're calling Minister to one, Ministering to One Another in Love. And this morning, we have the privilege of considering loving one another in covenant. Uh, with that, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, John chapter 15. So you're turning there just have one announcement for you this morning. We have the blessed privilege of having with us a traveling pastor, uh, Pastor Keith Jones and his wife, Stephanie, the kids uh, here to visit us from Christ the King. Keith's looking for him right now. Uh, visiting with us from Christ the King, uh, New York, uh, a Cornerstone Church plant up there. We're really grateful to have you guys with us. Grateful to be able to call Keith, Pastor Keith. That's uh, what a development that is. Uh, yeah. Amazing, I know. Yeah. We think alike in that, brother. Uh, good to have you guys with us. Uh, with that, we're going to take uh, our text this morning from John chapter 15, and we're going to look at various texts, but I think this will set the table for us well as we consider this subject of loving one another in covenant. Um, as Christians, um, the Lord has changed our lives. He's given us, given us a new heart, granted us repentance and faith. He's um, caused us to be born again. He's indwelt us with the Spirit. All these wondrous, tremendous, and gracious blessings that the Christian have has. Um, we still have this flesh to contend with, too, don't we? We still, um, uh, as uh, Paul would say, we groan. We groan inwardly under a remaining corruption, uh, remaining sin and we can often uh, wax or wane cold uh, in our love for one another. And so we wanted to take a brief break in our study of Romans uh, to consider how we love one another and the importance of loving one another our covenant commitment to love one another. And so I pray this uh, subject will be a blessing to you and I want us to take it to heart. Uh, this is something that uh, I pray that the Lord would uh, plunge uh, from the the 18 inches from some of us 20, some of us 16, from the head, our brains, uh, into the fertile soil of our hearts, uh, that it would take root there and would bear fruit for his glory. Uh, We need to um, once in a while remind ourselves what it is that we do here and reinvigorate our love for one another, renew our commitments to one another in that way. So that's the intention of this time this morning. And we begin with John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. When you find that text, please stand as we read our text together. This is the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. And the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. As you're being seated, this is the word of the living God and the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Amen. Amen. Man, Let's pray and then consider uh, this subject together this morning from God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of um, being able to gather together as your people on the Lord's Day and consider your revealed Word to us. It is uh, an indescribable blessing. And we pray, Lord, now as we consider your Word together, and we, cons- we would consider, Lord, how it applies to our heart, our minds, our life, how we conduct ourselves in the household of God. And I pray that your spirit, uh, through your word, would um, compel within us um, a faithful understanding of these things and a conviction of what your word says, uh, persuaded that it is true, Lord, and that you would grant us repentance where we need repentance, that you would strengthen and um, shape and mold and fuel and drive our faith where faith is necessary, Lord, and that you would help us to live in light of these truths for your glory. If there's anyone here who is unconverted, Lord, I pray that you would do that work in their heart that only you can do by your spirit. Give them life from the dead and may they be trophies of your grace. We pray all these things for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Title of our sermon, Loving One Another in Covenant. Loving One Another in Covenant. As you well know, we are now taking a brief break from our regular exposition of Paul's epistle to the church at Rome, and the intention of our elders during this time, during this break, is to exhort us. We want to encourage one another, exhort one another, admonish one another with respect to our responsibilities to one another in the flock of God, the household of God, in the local church. We've entitled the series, Ministering to One Another in Love. And this series is comprised of four sermons, loving one another in truth, loving one another in deed, this morning, loving one another in covenant, and loving one another in Christ. And I've been assigned now in this series, I've been assigned the task of leading us this morning through a consideration, if you will, of our covenant commitments to one another in the local church. By virtue of our covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been brought into covenant with one another. We brought in, we've been brought into union, into vital communion with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, and by virtue of that union with our Lord Jesus Christ, we, the people of God, have been brought into communion with one another. Now, we value, value that covenant relationship. That is an important relationship. We want to preserve it. We want to protect it. And we have, in order to preserve it, in order to protect it, we've taken upon ourselves covenant responsibilities. We've made covenants to one another. We've taken oaths in the Lord's name. And it's necessary, brothers and sisters, that we remember those responsibilities, that we renew those commitments, that we endeavor after new obedience. And so we've shifted gears for a while here over the last several weeks uh, from thinking vertically as we have been through the, the book of Romans, not excluding thinking horizontally, but thinking vertically uh, through that um, the, the magnificent theology in the book of Romans, uh, to now uh, calling you to remember the implications of that theology, how that theology is applied to life as we look more horizontally, if you will, at the church. May it never be said of us, may it never be said of you or I, that we are uh, too earth heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. We must not be too heavenly-minded, so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good. If that heavenly-mindedness, if that exalted theology has taken root in your heart, then it is going to bear the fruit of earthly good. It cannot but do so, the Lord ensures it by His Spirit. It will bear the fruit of love, it will bear the fruit of devotion, Uh, It will bear the fruit of gratitude, love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, love and devotion to one another, displaying the the triumph, the victory of the gospel, not only in our individual lives, but in our corporate life together as the church. Uh, We should see the victory of the gospel in the way that we live as the local church. John chapter 13, verse 35, the Lord said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, in our recent study of Romans chapter eight, we've identified the church uh, as an assembly or as a body of called out ones. We took a look at that at Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. The called. The Greek word, For the church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, from ek, meaning out of or out from, and klesia from the word kaleo, meaning to call. We are the called out ones, the called out ones, called out of our sin, called out of this world, called to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have been called by God to him through the preaching of the gospel, they are given new life in the spirit, They're granted repentance and faith by which they respond to the call. They are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and made, Ephesians 2.19, they are made fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We've been called to an assembly. We are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Now, having been called out and called out by virtue of the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ... Called out, we're then glued together. (laughs) We're knit together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, listen. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, we've been called out. We are individual people, but we've been knit together. For by one spirit, verse 13, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, men or women, tall or short, right? We have all been made to drink into one spirit, one hope of our calling, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Therefore, by virtue of having been called to himself and knit together by our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore we are one body, one flock, one nation, one race, one family, one people, one temple, one building, one priesthood, one household. And we are united to Jesus Christ through faith, and we are brought into union, brought into communion with his body, the church. That's who we are. That's our identity as the people of God. We are one body made up of many members, and that Group of many members is one body. Brothers and sisters, we then ask the question what is the glue that holds it all together? What is it that binds us? What is the thread by which the Lord Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, what is the thread then that knits us together as the people of God? The thread is love. The thread is love. We are united to one another. To one another in love. We are knit together in love. The church is made up of disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, called out of the course of this world, called out of our sin, and resolved, determined to love one another just as he has loved us. Ephesians chapter four, verse 16. From Jesus Christ, the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You get that? The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint, what every member, whatever individual supplies to the body. When each part is effectively working, there are in Ephesians 4, doing its share, the whole body causes growth, building itself up in love. You can think of the body really in, in many analogous terms. One would be like a complex machine. Right, a complex machine. Many moving parts, many working parts, every working part doing its share. And when that one seemingly microscopic little fuse blows out and the whole thing comes to a screeching halt, right? it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. From our perspective, that machine looks complex. Many people, uh, many churches, one body, one body body of the Lord Jesus Christ. But really from our perspective, it should be fairly simple. From our perspective, we need to show up and do our part. We need to show up and love one another. We need to love one another and do our part so that the whole body then, and we're speaking, Paul is writing to a local church, so that the whole body then causes growth, edifying itself, maturing itself, growing itself up, building itself up in love. And I would submit to you we would have no idea, no idea what true love is apart from God's revelation, self-disclosure of himself in scripture. We have no idea what true love is apart from God. Love is an essential attribute of God. Love is an essential perfection of God's own being to the degree that the apostle John can say, God is love. Not that God is loving but god is love love being an essential attribute of god's very being now you and i are different beings altogether we he is altogether not like us isaiah 46 we are entirely other we are a different being altogether and love is not an essential attribute of our being but you and i are made in the image of god We bear his image. And so we have the capacity, we have the capability of displaying love, but it's a love that is analogous to his love. It's not his love that we're displaying perfectly or equally. We display his love or reflect his love analogously. Our love is something like his love in the way that a spark might be like the sun, and frankly, the difference—frankly, the difference between fallen human love and His divine perfection—is infinitely greater than the distance or the difference between that spark and the sun. Do you see? We love analogously, but we can only say that we truly love. We're, we only—we can only say that we truly love when we love one another in the way that Jesus Christ has loved us. When we love in the way that love has been revealed to us perfectly in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It's by this that we know love. It's by this or through this that we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from God revealing himself in scripture, apart from a gracious self-disclosure of God, we wouldn't even know what love is. Most of what passes for love today is a cheap counterfeit, an empty counterfeit. It's feminized, it's romanticized, it's conflated with lust or conflated with mere feeling, conflated with mere emotion. It's something that is painfully and woefully far from the biblical concept. And the world is peddling that kind of love left and right. I've often thought that uh, given some free time, uh, that I'd love to take love songs, right? And rewrite them with truth. Or like you, you take, you take love song, a love song and um, the guy sings the love song and then I'd like to provide backup ly- lyrics. Like the backup singers would be truth tellers and the, the backup singers would give you the truth, uh, you know, what's being said. I was trying to think of some examples, examples of that you guys have heard the song, right? Always and forever. I think it's Luther, right? It's beautiful, romantic, far more beautiful than I can sing. Always and forever. And then the backup, the, the truth tellers would come in. You divorced her last year. <laughs> Always and forever. Um, what is it? Every moment with you, a dream come true. Enjoy them while you can. because they you're not going to last for long. Um, the world doesn't tell the truth about love. And listen, brothers and sisters, we're, we're influenced by that. We're influenced by that. There, in, you know, there was one, I've, I did in thinking of examples, uh, there was one that I thought was actually true. It was that love theme from the Titanic movie. That lady's on the plank, you know, floating on the thing. And she says, um, for one, she doesn't share the plank with him. Uh, and then she says, I'm never gonna let you go. And then she lets him go. And then the lady comes on and sings the song, my heart will go on. And I thought, I thought to myself, that's true. <laughs> like that, that's, that's how, <laughs> that's true. No backup singers needed, you know. We're influenced by that. We're influenced by that romanticism. We're influenced um, far more than we understand. Uh, to the point where love, biblical love, is reduced to emotion or reduced to feeling. Listen, you're going to have to consider how much your conception of love is influenced by this this world. And you should consider that right now as you're thinking. How much is your conception of love influenced by this world? Coming to the, the church, hey brother, I love you, man. And what does that mean? What does that even mean? Do you mean it? What does it mean that I love you? How much is your conception of love founded upon the word of God? Is your conception of love grounded in the example of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or is your conception of love more influenced by this vacuous, empty, bankrupt world? We must be a people, brothers and sisters, we must be a people devoted to loving one another as Christ has loved us. We are charged with a commandment from the Lord Christ, the Lord of the church, to love one another as he has loved us. And without that kind of God-glorifying, gospel-driven love, you don't have a biblical church. We don't have a church here apart from that kind of love. And that's why so many professing churches today are nothing more than social clubs, right? Therapy sessions with some entertainment added. They're not churches. They're not biblical churches because there isn't the biblical, the New Testament definition of love, the Old Testament definition of love has no place in that building with those people. You don't have a biblical church. We should focus vertically on that exalted theology, that tremendous theology, right? That theology that drives us to love the Lord, that theology that causes the growth of the body, that grows us up in him, that causes us to, absolutely adore him for all that he's done for us. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our strength, all our mind, all the time. And at the same time, we should take care horizontally that we love our neighbors as ourselves. On, this, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. It's like one example of that. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. Romans 13, look at verse eight. Paul says, owe no one anything except to love one another. Now that's exceedingly broad. Exceedingly broad. You're not going to owe them anything except love. And love is huge. (laughs) Huge For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, and here's the second table of the law. This is the table of the law that deals with our horizontal relationships as the body of Christ. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all summed up, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And in quoting the second table of the law, those laws that deal with our vertical, our horizontal relationships with one another, there is, you know, from the law of God, a a negative and a positive enjoinder. You're not to murder. And so the positive enjoinder of that is you are to do everything you can do to preserve life. For starters, Thou shalt not murder involves not harboring those murderous, angry thoughts against a brother, against a sister. Not harboring those angry thoughts, certainly refraining from taking their life. And everything in between, all of it is wrapped under the umbrella of you shall not murder. But then the positive enjoinder of the law gives us the responsibility to do everything that we can do to preserve life. That's why the brothers and sisters stand on the sidewalk and preach the gospel to those people who are going into the abortion mill to murder their children, right? To do everything you can to preserve life. And to love is to love in that way, to refrain from doing evil and to do good as is commanded us in the law of God. The law of God is fulfilled in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. I think it was Albert Martin that said that love is the heart of the law. So when you see the commandment, um, you shouldn't lie. Don't bear false witness. It's not, oh, I get so far in life from lying. Right? No, no, no. Those commands are, commandments are not burdensome. And the heart of that law is love for your neighbor, love for one another, and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't lie. Why? Because you love the Lord Jesus Christ and because you love that person. Don't lie to that person. Speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. That's not speaking of tone, mind you, right? Speak to that person in a loving tone. No, we're not talking about tone there. Speak the truth in love, in biblical love. In care. What is the most loving thing that you can say to them? We preach the gospel to them, right? So love is the heart of the law, and law is sight to love. In other words, love is blind. How do you know how we are to love? The law of God shows us the way that we are to love one another. Otherwise, without the law, love is relegated to emotion or to feeling. I just have all kinds of warm feelings when I'm around him. I love him. That's the world speaking. When you say, I love you, brother, what does it mean? What does it mean? We should go to the law of God. We should go to the word of God. We should go to the truth as it is revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ to define what it is that we mean in the church when we say, I love you, brother. That has a specific content to it. There's a specific weight to that. These principles of love are expressed in the word of God. Listen, make this connection with me. These principles of love expressed in God's word, they are principles of love that are expressed toward us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself through the gospel. So the love that we're to have with one another, toward one another, is that principle, that same principle is expressed by the Lord Jesus Christ in his love toward me, in his love toward you. It's the same principle of love. It's self-sacrificing, self-denying. It's biblical love. And those principles, the principle of the Lord Jesus Christ's love for us, the principle then that we are to show one another in our love for one another, those are the very principles of love that we are called on to express in our relationships in the church. Those principles are the same. Those principles, so inseparable, so inseparable that my embrace of the Lord's love for me through the gospel, my embrace of that through faith is evidenced in the way that I love my brothers and sisters in the church such that if I have embraced through faith truly the Lord's love for me, then I am going to love my brothers and sisters by that same principle in the church. Make sense? Such that the Bible can say that if you don't love your brothers, you don't know him. You say you know him and you don't have love for your brothers you're a liar. Do you want to examine or assess what you really think about the Lord Jesus Christ? Then consider the way in which the manner in which you love your brothers, your sisters in the church. Consider your love. Do you truly love the Lord Jesus Christ? Consider your own love for one another. How connected are you to the Lord's people at this church? How connected? It Inevitably reflects how connected you are to the Lord Himself. John chapter 15, the text read in your hearing. You are to be like a branch that is vitally connected to the vine, and that branch vitally connected to the vine for the purpose of bearing fruit. And this is how you should do it. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. How do you abide in His love? Well, if you keep my commandments, he says, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment to you that you love one another as or in the same manner as I have loved you. We're to love self-sacrificially. Greater love has no one than this. Than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. Love one another as the Lord Jesus Christ has loved us. High standard, amen? That's what we're called to. Do you have difficulty showing up? Can't love one another if you don't show up. Are you vitally connected to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have difficulty showing up? The problem, the problem isn't the kids. (laughs) The problem isn't traffic, The problem isn't even the distance because there are people who show up to church who live a lot farther away than you do. The problem ultimately isn't the distance. Ultimately, the problem is love, is love. And if you maybe get past uh, a self-justifying argument against that right now and consider it for a moment, you'll know it to be true. Do you allow lesser priorities to interfere with your participation with the, the gathered corporate assembly of God's people on the Lord Day? Do you allow lesser priorities to interfere? Do you allow lesser priorities to interfere with worship services morning and evening? It's the Lord's day. Do you allow lesser priorities? Can you say with a clear conscience before God, With judgment day earnestness, that that's not true. That There's nothing that interferes. If anything interferes, the problem ultimately is love. Is love. Do you allow lesser priorities to interfere with your commitment to one another? That we have covenanted before God to cultivate through small groups. You'll find small groups in the Bible, by the way. Small groups of believers gathered together, praying with one another, worshiping the Lord together. But in our covenant together, they become a means through which we obey the Lord Jesus Christ in the one another's. It is a means, brothers and sisters, through which we cultivate a vital life in the body of Christ between Sundays. In other words, the modern church today views the church as a uh, uh, one hour, if that commitment, on Sunday morning, and they go to their lives during the week, and they've added church. It's something that they do. They do church, they add church to their life, and church is something they do once a week. The church, the life of the church, is cultivated all week long. It's cultivated by our involvement with one, with one another. And that involvement with one another, we have determined is accomplished, best accomplished through those small groups. It begins there. And it has, by God's grace, cultivated life, the life of the body, the life of this church, as we've invested in one another's lives during that time. It has cultivated the life, between Sundays, if you will, in this church. And we're grateful for it. It's been a, a tremendous grace of God. Do you allow lesser priorities to interfere with that commitment, that commitment that you've made, by the way, if you're a member of this church? Love is not predominantly a subjective feeling. Love is is objective. Love is identifiable action. Love is lived out in our relationships to one another. It is love that conforms to the pattern that has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And for that reason, we are to be preeminently a community of Christ-like sacrificial love. Turn with me to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. Psalm 122 is a psalm of a sense. A sense. And as a psalm of a sense, it would have been a psalm that the people of God would have sung on their way to church, so to speak. They would have sung this psalm of ascent as they ascended the mount upon which the city of Jerusalem was built, uh, on their way to the temple, uh, on their way largely to one of the feast days or festivals. And so in this psalm of a Sense, David begins to sing, as it were, in verse 1. David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now why was David glad? Think with me. Why was David glad? Verse 3. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. They go up to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. The tribes are on their way up there, and the tribes are going to hear the testimony of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord. There's judgment there. And David is glad to go. Therefore, you can almost imagine it, can't you? Therefore, David stands to his feet, gladness in his heart, gratitude in his heart, and he begins his trip up the mountain to church. Verse six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. Verse eight, for the sake of my brethren, for the sake of my companions, I will now say, peace be within you. And because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. What is David going up for? What is he making the climb for? What is he singing the Psalm for? He is going to seek to do their good. Do you see? This is the place, David's thinking to himself, this is the place where I'll find the testimony of Israel. This is the place where God is to be worshiped. This is the place where I'll find my brethren where my companions are gathered to worship the Lord. And David loves the city of God. And David says, I will go up too to seek your good. It's this love, right? Christ-like love, self-denying. David walked, by the way, up that mountain <laughs> many times, as many of the Jews did. Self-sacrificing love, often uncomfortable love, often sometimes painfully inconvenient love. It's this love, brothers and sisters, with which we are to love one another. This is the way that it looks. This is the way that it's defined. We're not to be lazy about it. We're not to drop it on our list of a hundred different priorities. It shouldn't be dropped down on your list. We have a sober, but we have a joyful responsibility. Love is at the heart Of what it means for us to be the church. And if you've ever experienced that in earnest at a biblical church, particularly like this one, then you know that joy. You know that joy. And how quickly we forget. It works so well, I stopped doing it. (laughs) You know, we forget. We are prone to forget, prone to neglect. Now, that responsibility to love one another is summarized in our confession. Chapter 27 of the communion of the saints, listen Article 1. All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his spirit and faith, although they are not made there by one person with him, have fellowship in his graces, in his sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces. In other words, we've been brought into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, our physical body's not attached to one another. We've been brought into spiritual union, that by his spirit. We've been brought into union with the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by virtue of that union, we have been brought into communion with one another in love. We have communion in each other's gifts and graces. God having poured out, the Lord Jesus Christ, having given gifts to men, a measure of faith to each one, and here's what the confession says, listen, straight from the scriptures, and are obliged, obligated, Obligated to the performance of such duties, public and private, in an orderly way as do conduce or as do contribute to their mutual good, both in the inward and outward man. And notice the statement concerns our obligation, our obligation toward those with whom we have communion. We have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Uh, we have communion with those in our immediate sphere of service, speaking of the, those in the local church, and we are obligated. It's fascinating to me. Obligated to perform such duties, public and private, you can imagine those, in an orderly way. I think in an orderly way speaks to intentionality. There's an intention, I'm, you know, I'm just gonna go, and if I have opportunity, then I'll, you know, I'll pray the Lord will help me do what I'm supposed to do fine, but I think the the word speaks to intentionality. We're to do so in an orderly way. In other words, be thoughtful. Be thoughtful. And that begins, brothers and sisters, with showing up. Be thoughtful. And it says, as do conduce, conduce, or as, as they contribute to their mutual good. In other words, our doing good in the body of Christ edifies the body for building up the body. Uh, in the Spirit, but it also does us good by the Spirit. Doing good does us good. It's a means of grace, where Peter says, whereby we assure our hearts before him. It does us good, both in the inward and outward man. We're obligated. So then, think with me. Here we are, Cornerstone Baptist Church. By the grace of God, we've been delivered into that wondrous communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and into a sweet fellowship with his people. We have a a sweet fellowship here, a a gracious peace. Uh, It is a tremendous blessing. And we need the church. We need that. And brothers and sisters, we've been commanded to preserve it, labor, labor to maintain the unity of of the spirit and the bond of peace. So we understand the weight of our obligation and yet we understand our own propensity to, neg- to neglect that obligation. Our own weakness in the fulfillment of it. We understand these things. And we understand that the things we once valued as a priceless treasure can quickly turn into a trinket if we're not careful. Right? We understand that our love can wax cold. And so what do we do then as the body? We make commitments to one another. We make commitments to one another. We covenant In the presence of God, that we will continue steadfast in the commitment that we make to love one another in the body. A covenant might be best described, defined as an oath bound promise. It's a promise based on love, a promise based on relationship. Love for the Lord, love for one another. It's a promise that establishes a right relationship based on commitments that are made so that in the keeping of those commitments, we enjoy the blessings and privileges of that relationship. It's a covenant that is based on promised stipulation. It's a covenant that anticipates promised blessings. And those covenants are not unusual in the testimony of scriptures, right? God's dealings with his people always have been within the framework of a covenant The Lord expresses his commitments through covenant. It's often that the Lord's people express their response to him through covenant. Let me give you one example. Uh, We only have time for one. Nehemiah chapter nine. Nehemiah chapter nine. In Nehemiah nine, the Israelites have returned from exile in Babylon And the worship of God has been restored in Jerusalem. So what do they do? They begin to worship. They stood together on the Sabbath in the open square. And for one-fourth of the day, on the Lord's day, one-fourth, Sabbath at that time, for one-fourth of the day, they read from the book of the law. And for one-fourth of the day, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. That was what their Sabbath, Sabbath observance looked like on that day. And we pick up the account in verse six. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens, of, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of, the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. And you have performed your words for you are righteous. He is faithful and good. Not a word of his promises have ever not come to pass. So the people... Now, in the verses that follow, the people recount the faithfulness of God to the covenant and they recount the faithlessness of God's people to the covenant. All the way down to verse 36, to their great God who keeps covenant and mercy, they say, verse 36, here we are then, servants today. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruits and its bounty, here we are servants in it. They acknowledge God for his great faithfulness. Verse 37 And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress because of them. Verse 38. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. They make a covenant before the Lord because of the Lord's covenant faithfulness toward them. Chapter 10 then lists those who signed the covenant on behalf of the people and the rest of the people then. Verse 29, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath, They entered into an oath themselves to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. That's what we did, brothers and sisters, when we came together as a church. I've often said, sort of tongue in cheek in our new members classes, that those of you who join us, we're not joining you. You're joining us, and we've covenanted to serve the Lord. Uh, We've taken oaths before the Lord our God to serve Him in obedience to His commandments. That His commandments are not burdensome. This is something that we enter into voluntarily because we love the Lord and we want to see His will done. We want to know what this book says and we want to obey it for the Lord's sake, for His glory. The Bible doesn't refrain us from taking oaths in his name. In fact, the Bible specifies that we should make those commitments to him as his people. But the Bible commands uh, careful care, cautious care in making those commitments. When we make com- covenant commitments before God, we're not to make commitments, covenant commitments or take oaths like the hypocritical Pharisees that are rebuked in Matthew chapter 5 when the Lord tells them not to take oaths, right? Let your yes be your yes. But We are to make those covenants before God, calling God in that, calling God to be our witness with God bearing witness to whether or not we're faithful to our commitment. When we take a covenant, that's what we're doing. We're calling God as our witness. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. When you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vow to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Pay your vows, amen? Numbers 30, verse 1 this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse one, walk prudently when you go to the house of God, draw near to hear, rather than, than give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? From the multitude of dreams, in many words, there is also vanity, but you fear God. Very serious, amen? Very serious. We enter into vows, we enter into covenants voluntarily, but when done, they are done to be done in the fear of God. The Bible is replete with examples of those who were regarded by God for making a promise and keeping it, full of examples of those. The Bible is also replete with examples of those who are judged by God for making a covenant or making a promise and failing to keep it. The Pharisees rebuked in Matthew 5, for example, their duplicitous oaths, right? Saying they'll do something and then a lawyer's disclaimer of how they're gonna get out of that particular oath. I'm reminded in thinking of this, of the example of the Rechabites in Jeremiah chapter 35. uh, Jonadab, the father of the Rechabites, led his family, his sons, his descendants, into a covenant. And in this covenant, the Rechabites were not to uh, take wine and they were to live in tents. They were not to live in houses. When we find the Rechabites in Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah 35, 300 years later, they are still living in tents and abstaining from wine. They're serious about the covenant that they made. made. Verse 12, listen, Jeremiah 35, verse 12. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, when he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day, they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. Verse 19, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. That principle, brothers and sisters, applies to you and I. Those sons of Rechab, still obeying their father 300 years later, And there are people who've made covenant commitments in this church that have abandoned them three minutes later. Will we not take our covenant commitments seriously? God intends through his spirit in this church to cultivate um, a new creation community that is a light shining in a dark place, that is a light that sits atop a hill, a city on a hill. Let me give you an example. If you're a member of this church, you've voluntarily entered into covenant with us. Our covenant. That we will earnestly seek to maintain in the church the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by refraining from all gossip, slander, backbiting, seeking the forgiveness of those whom we wrong, and freely forgiving the wrongs of those who sin against us. That we will strive for the advancement of this church to promote its prosperity and spirituality to sustain its worship, to partake of its ordinances, to submit to its discipline and to cling to its teaching, giving Christ's church sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, faithfully attending the regularly called services and a small group that we will faithfully serve Christ in a ministry of the church using our gifts, our talents, our interests, that we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the financial support of this ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel to all nations, giving as God has prospered us, not grudgingly or of necessity because God loves a cheerful giver. All of that's straight out of the Bible, amen? We're simply making a commitment to obey God in the way that God himself has called us to obey him. And that is loving. These are responsibilities, brothers and sisters, that we have committed ourselves to fulfilling. You've covenanted in the presence of God to labor with us in fulfillment of them. We must keep what we have vowed in the presence of God for the sake of love. This doesn't get accomplished in two hours on a Sunday morning. It does not get accomplished in two hours on a Sunday morning. We need to align our consciences, inform our consciences with what we have vowed to do. What are we vowed to do? In summary, be devoted to one another with brotherly love, outdo one another in showing honor, live in harmony with one another, not judge one another, build up one another, welcome one another, instruct one another. We're not to sue one another. We're to care for one another. We're not to provoke one another. We're not to envy one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to speak truthfully to one another. We're to be kind to one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to be in submission to one another. We're to bear with one another. We're to teach and admonish one another. We're to increase and abound in love for one another. We're to comfort one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to build one another up. We're to be at peace with one another. We're to seek good for one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to stir one another up. We're not to speak against one another. We're not to grumble against one another. We're to confess our sins to one another. We're to be hospitable to one another. We're to serve one another. We're to be humble toward one another. We're to greet one another. We're to have fellowship with one another. We're not to deprive one another. We're to wait for one another. We're to consider one another. We're not to lie to one another. The tall order. It begins with showing up. That kind of love, right, that we see exemplified... As the new covenant responsibility of the Lord's church, that kind of love is hard work. It's diligent work, it's intentional work. And we are prone to take up the value system of this world when it comes to love, where church is something that we add to our lives. We're not used to thinking in terms of biblical community. That's what the Lord wants for us. And so we tend, if we think that way, we tend to think or we tend to be really superficial. Hi, how you doing? How's the weather? Great. We tend toward self-autonomy. We tend toward a self-centered individualism. The church becomes a commodity. We become consumers. And granted, we're spread out all over the place. We understand that. Many of you drive an hour. Some of you drive an hour and a half or more to get here. There is much that militates against the kind of community that the Lord would have us cultivate here. There is much that militates against it. We need the grace of God. We need strength by his spirit. We need his help. But at the same time, beloved, we are charged with the active engagement of our wills. We are charged with the accomplishment of that community. We are charged to endeavor after it for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, a community that is built on biblical love, a community that is supported by covenant commitments that we have made to one another. And we need to keep that covenant commitment, amen? So much more that could be said. In closing, Hebrews 10, verse 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. But make it your habit not to forsake that assembly, but showing up, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Amen? This is not a New Year's resolution. Uh, This is a Christian's determination. Amen? Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for this reminder from your word. Uh, Thank you for the many texts, Lord, that we can draw from to inform our understanding, to inform our conscience. And I pray, Lord, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the strength that your spirit supplies, may we, the people of God, called by your name, not take your name in vain, but rather take your name amongst ourselves in building a community by your spirit, the strength of your spirit, on the foundation of love as you've required, loving one another as the Lord Jesus Christ has loved us. May we do it for his sake, for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, and thanks for listening.